Greet you all in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We thank God for bringing us once again together. Even as we sing this song, Speak, O Lord. Just the fact that when we hear God's word, God is planting his truth deep in us. Let me take this time to uh, welcome you all. And uh, welcome at the right there at the back with his daughter. Um, get to know him. The boy is uh, my former student um, at Mukanyo, and uh, I've had the privilege to also meet up with him um, uh, on Fridays, usually, uh, to, to mentor him, and it's been a privilege of mine. So get to know him after, after church. Welcome, Tabuho. We have been going through Mark, and um, we've covered four chapters already, um, and today we're looking at chapter five. If you remember, um, during uh, the lockdown, we had a series, a mini-series called Encounters with Jesus, and in one of those series, I preached through Mark chapter 5, verse 1 to verse 20, titled in the sermon, Jesus and the Demoniac. We are going to look at that very same passage, but under the title, Authority Over Demons. Authority Over Demons. And this is, as we uh, look, this is when you preach the Bible consecutively, you um, sometimes cannot skip a passage, you must go through it again, um, and we're looking at uh, Mark chapter 5, uh, authority over demons, uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 1 up until 20. Let us read from God's word, and then we'll hear what he has to say to us this morning. I read from the ESV. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the, the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out in a, with a loud voice, he said, <clears throat> What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man. You unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirit came out and entered the pigs and and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The headsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one with the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they 
were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed men and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As, they, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not, pos- um, he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is God's word. Let us pray. Indeed, Lord, it is your word. It is your word that speaks to us, that sanctifies us, that leads us to you. We pray that you plant it deep in us as we draw near to you, that we will be driven by a desire to worship you as we hear your word. As we look at this text this morning, we pray that Jesus will be the center of attention, that our hearts will be um, drawn to him. In Jesus' blessed name we pray this. Amen. We have looked at Mark, and we saw the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right? When Jesus came in chapter 1, verse 15, his first message was saying, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In other words, his mission was to establish the kingdom of God and create citizens for this kingdom through his death for, the, for sin and on the cross and his resurrection. The kingdom of God, if you, if, you, if you read in the Bible, there's two aspects, right? There is the kingdom now. And there is the kingdom not yet. That is, we, we're talking about the kingdom that will be established in its fullness with the coming and consequent reign of Christ. One of the ways this kingdom is made manifest is through the destruction and the defeat of the kingdom of Satan. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 functions as a key text to announce the coming of the Messiah who will crush the head of the serpent through his death on the cross. In fact, if you read the Bible, right, if you read the whole Bible and you miss Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, you will not understand what it is all about. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 holds it all together. One of the ways this kingdom is made manifest is through the destruction of Satan, as I said. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the Apostle John tells us why Jesus came into the world. He says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And Paul speaks of the effect of the, uh, that the redeeming work of Christ has had on those who are bound by sin and on the kingdom of darkness as well. If you look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 14 to 15, this is what Paul says. He says that God, through Christ, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom 
of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In this encounter, we see Jesus delivering a man who had suffered for an undisclosed amount of time with demonic possession. Well, if you read this passage, it is not a passage that teaches us the techniques of exorcism or even a case for why eating bacon is wrong. Uh, But Mark wants to show us here is the fact that Jesus, the king, has authority, and not just authority, all authority, even over unclean demonic spirits. And that he has come to give deliverance to those who are following the course of the prince of the power of the air. This passage, these 20 verses, unfold in four dramatic episodes. We see a tormented man. We see confrontation with the evil spirit. We see the response of the community. And we see a changed man. A changed man. Look at the the first dramatic episode in this text in verses 1 to verse 5, we see a tormented man. The the text tells us that Jesus and the disciples came to the country of the Gerasenes. This was after the disciples were caught in a storm and Jesus commanded it to be still. Remember, we looked at this last week, Jesus' exercise of authority over creation. They came to the other side of the sea in the country of the Gerasenes after that encounter. His presence in that um, place is immediately felt as he gets out of the boat. He encounters a demon-possessed man who comes running to him. Mark gives us some detail on this man that informs us that he was a tormented man. He describes him as a man with an unclean spirit. In other words, he was possessed by a demonic power. He was enslaved under this foul demonic power. The, the New Testament tells us about demonic possession, but, uh, and, 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 and we must realize that that is a real thing. It is a thing that happens. Sometimes our thinking about the subject of, of, of demons falls under two extremes. C.S. Lewis puts it very well when he says this. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So the devil is pleased when we don't believe that he exists. In the same way, he is pleased when we are obsessed with him. The, 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 the church service centers around casting him out every Sunday, binding him. And you wonder, if we bind him every Sunday, who unbinds him during the week? Maybe we should start by binding the one who unbinds him. Isn't it, that, that would help, wouldn't it? We wouldn't have to go Sunday after Sunday binding him. Or are we being uh, uh, successful in our binding of the devil? 
then we must sit down and, 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 and discuss among ourselves, is our prayer being successful if we have to do it Sunday after Sunday? We see the devil everywhere. Instruments stopped working, this is Satan at work. The lights go out, Satan at work. So you find people, you, when, when you are living in that posture, you, you are never at peace. You, you are never at peace because everywhere you go, you are afraid that uh, there, there might be someone who wants to bewitch you, someone who has a nefarious plan uh, about your life. And so you are always casting. And these days, you, people are working with bottles in their pockets. Uh, uh, people are, are, are tying things on, on their hands and, and so on and so forth because they are living in fear. You see, true freedom is knowing the authority of Christ. That is true freedom. Living in that authority. There are some people that every 12 o'clock midnight, they wake up and start fighting. And start fighting. It's good to pray, but when your prayers are focused on conversations with the devil, then there's a problem there. So, Satan is pleased when we are obsessed with him. He is pleased also when we don't believe that he exists. Uh, To be demon-possessed is to be controlled and tormented by evil fallen angels referred to as demons. This, if you read the New Testament, although I'm not going to deal with it in detail, does not happen to believers. When you are in Christ, you are delivered. You don't need a deliverance service. You are delivered when you're in Christ. We don't see in the Bible a Christian being, to, be, being, being, being possessed by the devil because you are already indwelled by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit does not take any tenant, does he? It is clear that this man was under the control of this evil spirit. The demonic spirit had driven him to the tombs when you look at verse 3 as his new home. It had, it had driven him away from his community, driven him to the gravesite, away from his loved ones, living by himself. It was so bad that all attempts to help him failed. When you look at verse 3b, we are told, and no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. He had an unusual supernatural strength that made him hard, that made it hard for people to help him at all. All attempts failed. People wanted to help him, but they had no power to help him. They tried every other trick in the book, but they could not. That phrase, no one could bind him, can also be translated, no one 
could tame him. Now, immediately you see that there's something wrong here, right? Because human beings are not normally tamed, are they? It is the word that is used for wild animals. It is wild animals that are tamed. This means, if you look at the story, that the demonic spirit had brought him so low that he was treated like a wild animal. He had no hope of relief. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. This is probably his attempt to get rid of this foul spirit and maybe to even take his own life, but it never got better. He himself could, could feel that he is living in torment. He, 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 he would cry out at night. And what a vivid picture of how sin traps and enslaves those who commit it, isn't it? Those who flat with it and become caught in its clutches. You see, to surrender, to, to, to sin, is to surrender yourself into the hands of the devil. It is to surrender yourself in the hands of the devil. First John chapter 3, verse 8, uh, in the first part, John tells us, whoever makes a practice of sinning, is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So when we make a practice of sinning, we are emulating the devil. Uh, Christians are called to emulate who? Christ, right? To live in Christ-likeness. To, 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 to uh, pursue godliness. When we pursue a life of sin, we are living in devil-likeness. We are giving Satan a foothold over our lives. We are giving Satan ammunition to accuse us before God. To accuse our consciences. You see, a habitual life of sin is a life under the control of Satan. And Satan's plan is only to steal, destroy, and kill he is a murderer and has always been a murderer. He's a father of lies, isn't he? Many preachers like preaching. And in, in the midst of their sermon, when they are fired up, they would say something like, the devil is a liar. It is true, isn't it? Whenever you, you lie, you are speaking the language of Satan. Sin defiles, it defaces, and it leaves you miserable without hope. This was the condition of this man, but on this day, it was different. He met Jesus. He met Jesus. Back in the days when I was young, um, and I, was, uh, I would hear, you know, men and women singing joyfully. It was a happy day. They, they would talk about the day when Jesus came into their lives. I, I'm sure this was the testimony of that man. We, we see this in the second dramatic episode that shows the authority of Jesus here. 
Secondly, we see in verse 6 to verse 13, confrontation with the evil spirit. Notice his response when he sees Jesus in verse 6. He ran and fell down before him. Just those words. Mark has been telling us about this man. He never fell down before no man. When, try, when they tried to subdue him, he would defeat them. When they tried to help him, their attempts all failed. As this unclean spirit in him broke their chains and, and probably even gave a hiding to some of them. This supernatural strength is, is underscored or explained in the fact that he would break the chains and shackles that bound him in pieces, to, to pieces. <laughs> chains cannot normally, normally, under normal condition, you cannot just break a chain like that. So you can see that there was supernatural strength as a result of this possession. But on this day, on this day, he has met a man of superior power, a higher authority. We read in our scripture reading this morning in, in Hebrews, and I just want to go back <clears throat> to that chapter, chapter 1, Notice what verse 4 says about Jesus Christ that he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Verse 4, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited <clears throat> is more excellent than theirs. Demons are also fallen angels. The authority of Christ is far superior. Remember that the, the key, I hope I'm not digressing, but the, the key uh, word in, 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 in Hebrews is the word better. And the writer of, of, of Hebrews wants to show the Hebrews the foolishness of turning away from Christ and going back to the old covenant. And what does he do? He shows them that Christ is better. First of all, he's the better revelation of God. And secondly, he is better than the angels. He is better than Moses. He's better than Aaron. He's better than the high priest of the past. He's better than Melchizedek. He, he's, he's the better sacrifice because he's superior. And his superiority here, his authority is revealed. Mark has already shown us his authority in different ways, hasn't he? He has authority to forgive sins, chapter 1, verse, verse 1 and 11. Authority over the Sabbath, chapter 2, verse 23 to 28. Authority over paralysis, chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 1 to 11, and chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. Authority over nature, as we saw last week, and authority over demons. He does not need chains to bind those who are demon-possessed. 
he comes and fall he comes and 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 and, and falls before Jesus he, he can't help but feel overpowered by this superior authority the greek verb fell down before him denotes prostrating oneself before a person whom reverence and worship is due james edwards says when demoniac meets divine it is a no context contest event notice what he says to jesus what have you to do with me jesus son of the most high god i adjure you by god do not torment me it is clear that it is an unclean spirit that is speaking through the man there's a clear acknowledging of the person of Jesus Christ here. He is the son of the most high God. And isn't that what Mark is trying to show us? Mark is trying to show us that we cannot see it ourselves, but the demons are seeing it. It is the title that reveals that Jesus is no mere man, but he is God in the flesh. What is even more amazing is that the demoniac, the demon-possessed man, the de- demon spirit in the man, is legion. It is many demons that have possessed the man. Legion was the number of a Roman regiment consisting of 6,000 foot soldiers and 120 horsemen. He, he was captive to many demons, but they had no power over Jesus. They, they, they begged him. Now, they are begging him because they are under authority. They, they begged him to send them to the pigs. And he granted them their request. What I want you to notice is the compassion of Jesus toward this man. Look at verse 8. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. No one wanted to be next to the man for fear of their own lives, and understandably so. What is even, even amazing is that to an Orthodox Jew, this man would be considered unclean. He had a foul spirit, and he was living in a graveyard which made him unclean. You know the, 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 the law, right? The, the, the ceremonial law. That if, if, if you come in contact with a, with, a, with a dead body, you become unclean. And so they were afraid to, 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 to make themselves unclean. To, to come into contact with him would mean that they would become unclean. But it is not so with Jesus. When Jesus touches a person who is considered unclean, the person's uncleanliness does not transfer to Jesus. But the cleanliness of Jesus transfers to the man. Jesus touches the lepers, the demon-possessed, the immoral Samaritan woman. All these were considered unclean, and his power is transferred to them. And we'll see it also with the woman, with the issue of blood, as the passage will will show us. This shows us that the amazing cleansing power of the death of Christ on the cross touches those the world it does not want. 
those the world rejects. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be seen who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see what is happening here. There is the great exchange. Christ takes our sin upon him. And he gives us his righteousness. He clothes us in in his righteousness. You see, our standing before God, our acceptance before God, it is not because you can preach well. It is not because you know a lot of Bible verses. It is not because you attend church every day, every Sunday. Please do attend church every Sunday. It is not because of that. It is because of the righteousness of God. The righteousness of Christ on you. That is why Paul in Philippians says, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but the righteousness that is found through Christ by faith. That is the righteousness that is acceptable before God. All other righteousness before him is filthy rags. It is tainted with sin. You cannot pride yourself in your good works as if they, uh, uh, they give you an acceptance before God. There's, a, there's a, a funny story about a man who was honored by the church. They say he's the most humble man and they gave him medals for being the most humble man at church. And next week he came to church wearing those medals and they took them back. Jesus took all our uncleanliness and gave us his righteousness. A righteousness that is pleasing to the Father. A righteousness that makes us new people. What is interesting and surprising very uncharacteristic considering what just happened is the response of the community. The the way the the community responds. Look at verse 17, verse 14 to 17. The response of the community. This is the third dramatic episode in this text. After the demons leave uh, the men and possess a head of pigs and drown about 2,000 of them in the sea, the headsmen are, they run in fear and report this to the city and to the whole country. I don't know, sometimes when you read the Bible, we, we, we run, right? We run across. I was um, struck with um, when I was observing this passage, how the idea of fear um, is repeated from one episode to the next, um, two episodes back and forth, right? The episode in the sea, the regency, how did the disciples respond? They responded with great fear. They were filled with great fear. But this fear at the end of the day, even though they were rebuked, it is a fear that drew them closer to Christ. They did not depart from him. But we see a different thing here. They came to Jesus. After the headsmen called the 
the, the, the whole country, the people, they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man. The one who had had the legion, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. Verse 15, and they were afraid. What normally should come next is, is what we usually see when Jesus performs a miracle by healing someone, right? Remember chapter 2, verse 12? <clears throat> they were all amazed and glorified God. We, we see that oftentimes, right? Whenever Jesus does something great, we see that people are amazed and they glorify God. Not in this case. Instead of welcoming Jesus and seeing him as a savior, they ask him to pack his bags and leave. Verse 17, they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. I remember once we were doing a house-to-house evangelism and where we, we entered a house and a lady in her 40s came out and greeted us. She asked the reason why we were uh, there, why we had visited, and we told her we came to share the gospel and uh, to tell her about Jesus, who is the giver of life. She wanted to give us something as well. Before saying another word, we were running away while she chased us with a broomstick. The, the, the physician of the soul had come to the garrisons. They saw his power with the deliverance of this man whom they struggled to tame. Instead of embracing the physician of the soul, they showed him the exit door. As I said, I think last week, that the height of foolishness, the height of foolishness is to understand the gospel and reject it. Mark tells us that their motivation here was fear. Fear for their commercial success. Fear of a power they could not understand. A power they could not control. What can he do? What demands can he make? To surrender to him might mean to leave their pagan lives behind. To leave behind a life of sin. But rather, they chose sin in place of the giver of life. Sometimes, we have a tendency of reading texts and saying, that could not be me. Look at these foolish people. Sometimes, we choose our own conveniences over serving Jesus by serving others. Sometimes we are so controlled by the expectations of the world, the schedules of the world, that the schedules of the world come before our commitment to Christ. Christ becomes a footnote in our lives. We have to look at the schedule in order to fit him in. One of the things, when I woke up this morning and we were preparing Wazi, we were preparing to come to church, I could not help but thank God for how 
our parents, both my, my wife's parents and my parents, prioritized church. That, I, I just was thankful this morning about that. That there were times when we could be doing other things, when people come to visit in the morning, but church would be a priority. Those people who come to visit in the morning would be told, we are going to church. And they would come along, or they would be left behind. And um, I said this last week at, at the, the membership class, it's actually something I heard from my mom, that if, if people visit you on Sunday and you stay saying, I have visitors, how about when they visit you during the week when you have to go to work? Are you going to tell your boss, I have visitors? And it's a sad example here of the human heart, isn't it? That a heart that has not been touched by God's grace will choose sin over God. But God's grace is like an open sea. Whoever plunges in it is received gladly. God will never reject you. Never. You might be there asking yourself, but you don't know what I've done. Yes, I don't know what you've done. God will not reject you because he knows God's grace is always ready to welcome whoever is lost, whoever is bound by sin. We see this with the man who has just been delivered here in the fourth dramatic episode, the fourth and final, verse 18 to verse 20. We see a changed man a changed man. God is in the business of changing people. He's in the business of cleansing sinners and delivering them from slavery to sin. Jesus, in his compassion, reaches out to people and gives them new hearts. Hearts that love him and want to follow him. A man who was previously tormented by an unclean spirit is in his right mind here, clothed and sitting with Jesus. Above the freedom from a demonic spirit, he has experienced freedom from sin. His heart now desires to be with Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that the case, brothers and sisters? Unlike the garrisons, Jesus is begging, this, this, unlike the garrisons, this, this man is begging Jesus to to, 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 to be with him. The garrisons are begging Jesus to leave. The man wants to be with Jesus. He wants to go with Jesus. He knew at this moment that there is no greater thing than knowing Jesus. He saw Jesus as his all, his best, his love and his righteousness. His heart, his soul, his life were surrendered to Jesus and that is all that he wanted. 
I'm reminded of the, 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 the prayer of Asaph in Psalm 73. After he was um, almost charmed by the things of the world, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth besides you. Brothers and sisters, to be saved is to prize Jesus. It is to see him as your supreme and ultimate treasure. All other things are dull. They are nothing in comparison to Jesus. You see, we must hold Jesus tightly and all other things loosely. It is to stand in the presence of Jesus and wonder how he could love a sinner deserving condemnation. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Tis mercy all. The immortal dies. Isn't that what we say? Brothers, let us not sing it. Brothers and sisters, let us not sing it with our lips. Let our hearts erupt with joy as well. This is all that this man wants. He wants nothing but to be with Jesus. And, and, and this is not to say other things are not important. It is important to have your job. It is important to have your family and take care of your family, love your family. But none of those are more important than Jesus. The things of this world, we are unsure about them. But Jesus, Jesus is eternal. If this man was asked at this moment what he wants, I believe that he would say, give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. But to his dismay, Jesus does not grant him his request, but says to him in verse 19, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus commissions him to go back and testify of all that the Lord has done for him. He turns a man who was demon-possessed into an evangelist who will testify for him. And sure enough, verse 20 tells us, he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Jesus left him behind, because the, not because there was no space in the boat, but because there were those who needed to hear about him in the Decapolis. Sometimes I feel like, Lord, the day you saved me, you should have taken me to heaven. But you realize that the Lord leaves us here in this world, sin-infested world, a dark world, evil generation, to shine the light. Not to blend in, brothers and sisters. To shine the light. In the same way, when we are saved, we are not taken immediately to heaven, sent to our families and friends, to our communities, to declare the saving power of Jesus. Now the question before I conclude.
Are you testifying about Jesus and what he has done for you? About his lordship, his saving work on the cross? Are you telling people about Jesus who has delivered you from the clutches of the devil, from sin, and has made you his own? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your great deliverance in, in, on the cross, delivering us from our sin. Thank you for the freedom that we have. May we walk in it. May our voices grow louder in proclaiming this good news. May we live this good news that has transformed our lives that you will be honored. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.